When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello everyone and welcome to the latest edition of the Royal Blue Podcast and it's a bit of a frustrated feel in the Royal Blue Podcast room today after Everton's 1-1 draw with Manchester United, helped massively by VAR at the end of the match and we will come to that. Uh, My name is Adam Jones, I'm your host today, joined by David Prentice and two special guests from the American Toffee podcast. We've got Alex and James. Hello, lads. Hey there. Happy to be here, Adam. Thanks for having us on. Yes, thank you very much. Very excited. That wasn't David Prentice, you could tell from the accent straight away. (laughs) (laughs) Dead giveaway. (laughs) No, good to have you here, boys. uh, You picked a lively game to attend, so yeah, plenty we can get stuck into. Yeah, no question. And we'll, we'll get into the specifics of the game uh, a little bit later on, but I just wanted to chat to you guys first about, you know, this is your first trip uh, to the city, first trip to Everton. And uh, you were just telling us before the podcast, but why Everton? You can go ahead. Tim Howard initially, right? The 2014 uh, Secretary of Defence World Cup <laughs> heroics <laughs> against Lukaku's Belgium. Yeah. Um, I was just taking summer courses and I turned on literally any match on the World Cup that was on then naturally followed the United States. Yeah. And... Uh, for some reason, decided I wanted to keep watching Tim Howard, and then after a couple of matches, I just kind of got roped in, and now I uh, I just share the misery with you uh, from a couple <laughs> thousand miles away, but, yeah. you know, that's kind of my story. I think his is close to the same. Yeah, it's, it's mostly the same. I think Tim is what really got me to, to closely follow the club, but I had been following from a distance. You know, it hasn't the Premier League hasn't been widely available in the U.S. until fairly recently with the new TV deals. Um, but there used to be the odd game on, you used to get the odd European game on uh, American television. And one day when I was, you know, probably around 2010 or so, I just caught an Everton match and, and was, it piqued my curiosity. I didn't know anything about European football. I had only watched American sports up until that point. Um, and so I just started to sort of follow Everton, learned a little bit about the history of the club, the amazing history. And then uh, once it, once I started to follow more closely, get into learning about David Moyes and, and the club at that time, um, I was hooked. And then when I could finally, there was a, a couple years where it was uh, a bit dodgy streams <laughs> here and there trying to catch the matches. But now uh, the quality of, of the you know television coverage has gone up tremendously and it's made it much easier for us to follow. So, How did the, uh, the atmosphere yesterday compare to American sports? Because I probably very wrongly but get the impression that you know so american sports is very much like a family event uh mm-hmm. you know barbecues at the back of uh, you know so cars and stuff and that level of tribalism that you have at football matches probably isn't quite as intense in the usa is that completely wrong no i think that that's fairly accurate yeah. i think yeah. you know in the in american sports you would get um, you know, rivalry matches and things like that, you might yeah. get a bit of atmosphere, but it's become very much a commercial product, I think, yeah. in a lot of respects. And so the atmosphere yesterday, and that, that's what sort of, that's part of what, what drew me into the Premier League and made it so attractive, is the tribalism, yeah. is the passion of the fans and the authenticity. Um, I think that, that that's what drew me in. And yesterday was, you, know, you, can, you can hear the crowd uh, over the TV a little bit, but it doesn't compare uh, yeah. to be actually being in, in the ground for sure. Mm. Definitely didn't disappoint. It was fantastic <laughs> to hear uh, the Gladys Street singing. Yep. Um, the Man United supporters seemed pretty 
interesting as well. They were singing quite a bit also. Interesting's probably the word. Yeah. 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 Interesting <laughs> choice of song selection, yeah. shall we say. Yeah. 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 So, <laughs> they do get behind the team. Yeah, yeah so yeah. I mean, it was, it was a really cool experience. Um, it, it was just very surreal to see them walk out just in real time, right? Like <laughs> watching every single weekend for years and it's just, it's not the same. So it was very, very cool. So how did the podcast come about between you two? So I essentially had been watching Everton for, shoot, three, four years at that mm. point. No friends in person I could talk to uh, about Everton, right? They were all, you know, somewhat fans of United, City, Chelsea, right? And so I essentially uh, started listening to the Echoes podcast. And um, to be honest, this might make you uh, laugh a little bit. I couldn't understand what you were saying. <laughs> well, that some cows not here today, but well, yeah, I can understand yeah. that. <laughs> <laughs> not, not, well, I won't, I won't say fully, and, but, well, but then... I've got posh cow accents. So, you know, I just kind of figured, I wonder if anyone else would be interested in just hearing an American's perspective. So yeah. it was some, somewhat selfish on my end. It was just yeah. kind of an outlet. Um, and then about six months in, he kind of hit me up and said, hey, I'd, I'd like to come on and just talk, talk with you about it. Yeah. Um, and we kind of went from there. Yeah. So now we do it. It can twice a week, and it it can be a bit isolating in the states to be an Everton supporter because you do have virtually, I'd say, ninety-five plus percent of fans are fans of the top six clubs, and I think they don't necessarily appreciate the the uh, mid-table battles as much necessarily, and so. To find an outlet to talk about the, the club, you usually have to go online, whether it be Twitter or other forums. And so I was desperate for some kind of outlet, and I saw Alex was doing the podcast. I figured him talking into a microphone by himself might be a bit of a lonely endeavor. <laughs> and so I reached out and said, would you have me on as a guest? I'd love to come on. And we had to sort out the logistics. Obviously, I am in Maine, and he's in Virginia, and probably a 1,000 miles apart. But we got that sorted, and then we just went from there, and we it took off, and it's been a really rewarding experience. You know, we've started to build a community of American toffees and it's been very cool to have people reach out to us and say that they appreciate what we're doing and that they, they enjoy the show. It's been unbelievable. So is this the first time you've actually been together in the flesh? Yeah. It's, it's just been a, a relationship by proxy, if you like. Yeah. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> we've, past, been, yeah. we've been doing it for yeah. about a year and a half together. Yeah. The first time we met was uh, about four days ago on Thursday in Dublin yeah. when we <laughs> arrived at 5 a.m. in the <laughs> wow. So, anyway, I mean, you know, it, it sounds, I, I keep saying it, it sounds more ludicrous when you say it aloud. Yeah. Uh, to us, I mean, trying to explain to it friends and family, yeah. you know, to, to explain to friends and family, like, hey, I'm going to go overseas for the first time with my friend that I've never met in person <laughs> for two yeah. weeks. Yeah. You know, it's kind of hard to explain, but, I mean, we know each other. Sure. really well so it's been it's been very cool mm. yeah and i mean i suppose the match day experience is something that we take a little bit for granted yeah. living in the city but and i noticed you were down around goodison park you know a good few hours before kickoff you wanted to soak in the whole atmosphere did it live up to the expectations for you yeah it was absolutely amazing and i do think um you know we've had people reaching out saying hope you enjoy the city hope you have a good time i do think it's something that you might take a bit for granted just the the quality of football that you have access to right down the road, it's its incredible. And the match experience lived up to every expectation. We were in the Winslow, had a few pints. It was We saw uh, upstairs at St. Luke's. That was incredible That's as well. Nice, yeah. It was it, we, we did pretty much everything that we wanted to do. We didn't make it into all the pubs maybe that we would have liked. But meeting everyone in person, everyone was so friendly and welcoming, and it, yeah. was, it was amazing. Yeah, I think it, it far exceeded expectations. I just had it. I had a fantastic time just like walk, walking down Goodison Road for, you know, a couple hours. And, you know, like he said, stopping in the Winslow, going to St. Luke's. I mean, uh, I couldn't get any service on my phone. So I had to ask someone standing in line at the chippy like, hey, 
you're reading the match, the, the lineup. Can you please tell me what the lineup is? And then, <laughs> and then she reached out, I guess, on Twitter. Hey, were you the one that asked me about the lineup? And I said, I guess it was. You know, yeah. so it was. It's just, it's amazing to feel so welcome. Um, I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure why it's so amazing that two Americans follow yeah. Everton. We get it every cab we yeah, s- yeah. we step in, right? But uh, it's amazing, and we feel at home. And I really appreciate. Yeah, the it's strange because I mean, Liverpool, I suppose, you know, much as we we dislike it, are the international club of the city. Mm. You know, they have supports a support base from very, very far afield. And if the truth be known, we use it as a stick to beat them with sometimes. Yeah. You know, so we are the local club, you know, so whereas they are the international club. Uh, but I think Everton want their support base to expand, you know, so we want to have supporters, you know, all over the world. And so, you know, a guy from Maine and Virginia, you know, so following the booze is music to my ears. Mm. Yeah, and, and I think that has to be the direction that the club go. I know that there might be some resistance in, and there's a pride in, in having a local club, certainly, yeah. especially in the context of, larger English football and the way the top clubs have gone. But if Everton do want to compete at the top level, like the ambition it currently is under the new ownership, I think that they have to be open to that. You have to, I think you should be proud and feel proud that there there are people who want to fly thousands of miles to come see your club play football. And of course there's now international involvement in the fans forum, which is, you know, a big step, isn't it? Yeah. And we met uh, Joe O'Reilly. We've, I've been, we've had Tony Sampson uh, of the Chicago Toffees on the show a couple of times as he was, um, vying for a spot on the fans forum and we met uh, Dave from the County Road Bobblers as well yesterday had some really interesting conversations with them and look forward to working with them to help expand the international fan base mm-hmm. you're not alone a good friend of mine Dr. David France who lives mm-hmm. in Vancouver yes. now and um, he spent our oh, best part of a lifetime commuting uh, from America uh, to watch Everton play and I think he calculated he'd been to the moon and back about so, you know, so three and a half times the number of transatlantic journeys he'd made. And obviously he lived in this country for a long time, but you know, he was working in the States a lot and absolutely phenomenal, you know, so some of the trips he made. So yeah, th- there aren't many, you know, but there are some guys that you know, so do make that trip regularly. Mm. And uh, what a game to choose, as we've already said. Let's get into the yeah. nitty-gritties oh, of this. Oh, God, can't we just keep it nice? Uh, <laughs> we've got to talk about the game, Preno. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and we'll start with you then, Preno. Strong performance, not the result anyone wanted, but it got off to the perfect start in a bit of a bit of a fortuitous circumstance. It was, yeah, it was a it was an excellent performance. Uh, I had the, the good fortune to be sat directly behind Gareth Southgate during the game, oh, yeah. and uh, he obviously turned up, you know, for a number of players on both sides that he was watching. But I'd like to think he was keeping half an eye on uh, Mason Holgate and Michael, Michael Keane's performance, but especially Dominic Calvert Lewin. And, you know, he's obviously not going to impart any nuggets of wisdom, you know, so to us before and after the game. But he couldn't but fail to have been impressed by Calvert-Lewin's performance. Um, I think sometimes we expect a bit too much from him. Uh, I was a little bit critical myself last week, uh, the Arsenal game, you know, con- trying to contrast him to Obama Yang. But Obama Yang is like... A, a forward who's been around for a long time, you know, so experienced, he's completely and utterly developed, you know, whereas Calvert-Lewin is still a work in progress, and that progress is developing at an incredible rate. His work rate's sensational, his pace is excellent, he held the ball up really well, and he scored a goal, I was a nothing. Um, it was, okay, it was a David De Gea mistake, but equally, you know, so he had the the foresight uh, to close him down. He had the energy to close him down. Um, you know, got, got his left foot in a really, really, you know, interesting position to, to score it. Could have had more as well. I know we're going to get on to the, uh, the last minute, you know, so debacle, <laughs> should we politely say. Um, 
but you know, I think he scored more goals now than any English striker has it. Or is he closing in on Tony Cotty's sixteen league goals in ninety three, ninety four? Uh, right, he's just behind Paul Rideout in ninety four, right. ninety five. I think he's one off Rideout's total. And there's still about what you know, so ten games to go, yeah. something like. So you know, he's had a great season and he's impressing all the time and improving all the time. So yeah, he's undoubtedly one of the high points of the performance. Uh, I thought he was excellent all the way through. As was Mason Holgate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'd like to hope that you know Gareth Southgate also took notice of his performance. And you notice I've very carefully sidestepped any mention of Jordan Pickford on this occasion. Let's <laughs> <laughs> move quickly on. I mean, yeah. we're talking about Dominic Calvert-Lewin there. He's now up to 13 goals in the league this season. Same amount as Tammy Abraham. And do you think he's really getting the same kind of recognition as Abraham? Got. Not even close. Not even close. And that's I think that's kind of a given, right? I mean, we even understand the, the difference in, in media coverage, uh, even thousands of miles away, mm-hmm. right? It, it's all, I think it's... At least from my perspective, it's always been that way and it probably always will be that way until we start to make the next step that we are so ambitiously trying yeah. to do. Um, but I was really impressed with Dominic Calvert-Lewin. And over the last couple of seasons, right, although he hasn't been perfect or, or as good as he has been this season, he still has made notable improvements every single year, yeah. right? Very notable improvements. Um, and yesterday, as you said, his hold-up play was fantastic. Um, I liked his technique a lot. He had a really good touch and linked up with a lot of the other players well and brought them into the play, so I thought that was fantastic. Mm, And I think his goal kind of summed up what he is as a player, really. He'll make that run 100 times this season and it'll never come off as well as it did uh, just just in that moment. Yeah, the thing with Calvert-Lewin is that he's always sort of, we've known he's always had the tools to to be a top player, the athleticism, the, the size, the physicality. It's been the goals that have been the biggest critique of him as a player. And now that that's finally starting to materialize, I think he's, he deserves the recognition that he's got amongst the fan base. And I think if he keeps it up for the rest of the season and gets 15 plus goals, I think it's going to be impossible for Southgate to, to look past him for the Euros. Mm. And one English player who has a really good game, in my opinion, know, probably not going to get picked for the Euro squad, Leighton Baines. What, what, what a performance that was from I'm him. Glad you said that, yeah, he was outstanding. Um, we know the quality he's had. Uh, the, the issue in, in recent years has been a growing injury record and inability maybe to you know, sort of play consistently week in, week out, which is why you know, the club saw us as a younger option than Luca Dean. Uh, but... On the occasions we've seen him this season, he's just oozed class and quality. I mean, the goal against Leicester, you know, so is a standout moment for, for for the season so far, and his performance throughout yesterday. Maybe on a couple of times that overlapping zip wasn't quite there. You know, he did, wasn't quite able to reproduce it as often as he would have done maybe in his prime. But it was still an absolute top quality performance. His delivery was outstanding from the flanks. Uh, his defensive work was great. Um, yeah, he was. Uh, uh, I, I was actually thinking about him in England again, thinking, no, he's not going to get another England recall, surely. <laughs> but, you know, his, his performance yesterday, you know, certainly it deserved, you know, so an honourable mention, should mm. we say. Yeah, great great performance. I think a lot of people were picking up on his defensive display, in particular in the second half, you know, that lung-busting run to get back and then make that interception. Yeah. But, of course, like, as you said, his delivery was good. He probably should have had an assist in the first half when Richarlison connected yeah. with that header, mm-hmm. probably should have scored. What did you make of Baines' display? Well, for a first match at Goodison, nothing more uh, fitting than seeing a vintage Leighton Baines <laughs> return to the side. And I think the current role that he's in at, at his age, coming in when, obviously, the, the first choice, Luca Dean, 
isn't quite fit. I think that suits him really well, and I think that mm-hmm. at his age, he should be able to maintain that for hopefully we'll, we'll see what happens at the end of the season, but I'd be very surprised if the club didn't look to give him another year based on the, the quality of the performances. Whether he could do it week in, week out over the course of 10 or so weeks, I think that might be a bit much to ask, but to come in for two or three games at a time and do a job, it's clear that he's still very capable of that. So yeah, You know, James and I talked about it before and after the match, right? It would have been fantastic to see Luca Dean play because he is statistically one of the best Mm -hmm. left backs in the league, right? Um, But at the same time, we know that Leighton Baines just had a one-year contract extension, like an option picked up, right? And so just the fact that we got to come to Goodison Park but also got to see Leighton Baines because we know his days are numbered, even just watching on TV, right? He's not been... Um, he's not been appearing as much as he used to be, so that was very nice to see. And and in person, he makes it even he makes it look even easier than he does uh, from afar. Usually, you know, I, I, he he uh, he appeared against Man United previously, right? And I was very afraid because he had Daniel James on uh, his side of the pitch in that match, and I was afraid about the pace, mis- the mismatch and pace between the two. But same thing there, right? I I feel like he's just class and and. Only gets better with age, so he's probably the best left back uh, I've seen. As you can tell, I'm a little slight, <laughs> slightly older vintage than Adam, um, but you know, not quite old enough to have seen Ray Wilson play. You know, so the World Cup winner. But you know, my first game was in 1975, so I've seen plenty of you know top class left backs at Everton. McPedrick was outstanding. Andy Hinchcliffe was you know so very very decent. Um, uh, obviously, the, you know the championship-winning teams. You know Pat Van Den Howe, John Bailey, all you know so fine. Like Julian Lescott had a great spell there. Alessandro Pistoni, uh, Valente. I didn't <laughs> mind Pistoni. You know, a lot of people like uh, aren't having him, but no, I, I thought Pistoni was okay, and he was very, very harshly criticised. You know, Valente can't possibly go down there with that one. Uh, but Baines is the best I've seen. Genuinely, he's just an absolute class act. And you know, Premier League era hasn't been kind to Everton in many areas, but to have. The best that I've certainly seen in one position, you know, so speaks volumes. I'm not sure many disagree with you there, but if like Luca Dean is fit for the Chelsea game, what do you do if you're Carlo Ancelotti? Do you give the place to Baines, who's in good form, mm. or do you give the place back to Luca Dean, who is our top assist maker this season? Tricky question. Over to our American friends. <laughs> <laughs> I do think, as much as it, you know, sentimentality might have me want to see Baines again, I think Luca Dean in his current run of form, assuming he's fully fit. I think it's important if, depending on the nature of his injury, not to rush him back. Mm. But if he's fully fit and ready to go, I still think that he's just a bit above Baines right now. His his key pass numbers are off the charts this season. He's a very important <coughs> player down that left flank. and I, I think he links up maybe a little bit better with our left-hand side players. If Bernard comes into the side, for example, I think that they've shown a really good understanding between the two of them. Um, So as much as I might love to see Leighton Baines one more time, I think it'd be also just tactically make more sense to have Luca Dean in the side. Mm. Even if it's just for the extra mobility, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So we I wouldn't wouldn't disagree. No, I mean, as good though he was, I mean, can he reproduce this, you know, week in, week out? I'm not so sure. I mean, he's got a, a full week to recover and to prepare for it. So he probably could. Uh, but yeah, Luca Dean does provide that little extra bit of athleticism, maybe. Um, so yeah, no arguments. But equally, we don't lose anything if Leighton mm-hmm. Baines right. is on the side, right. which is an important thing. So if Luca Dean's not quite fit, not a problem. Yeah. Keeping with Baines, I think we've avoided it long enough. Go on, man. <laughs> go on. <laughs> last last minute of the game. Uh, All right, VAR. Yeah. Um, what, so what, what what was going through your head there? That, it was it was very very strange because uh, the, the celebrations were so intense. 
uh, you know, I, I did uh, have a bit of an out-of-body experience at the time. So <laughs> yeah, I've not, not ex- celebrated a goal quite like that for some time, maybe due to the fact that I'd had a very, very heavy Saturday night. And I was <laughs> feeling a bit peaky, I don't know. Um, but it was. And then to see that, you know, awful pause on the pitch, which uh, VAR kills moments like that, moments of emotion, which I dislike it for that. But there's, there's so many flaws that, you know, in the argument that, you know, you could argue... What was the uh, the Premier League's official reasoning? Is that because um, Gilfie Sigurdsson was obstructing the eye line of, um, of David in the, De Gea? In the field of vision. Field of vision. Of, of well, you could criticise that all day long because clearly he wasn't. He was on the floor, um, and you know there's plenty of images you can see. You know where the goalkeeper's vision is quite clear. So much so that he makes a move to the right to actually try and block the initial shot. Therefore, his his, eye, his vision can't have been obscured. But I accept it's a very divisive issue. I accept that, you know, the Premier League's explanation was such. So, okay, you can sort of reluctantly accept that, very reluctantly, I hasten to add. But if they've looked at that, they've also looked at the incident literally a second earlier when Wan-Bissaka just cleans out Sigurdsson. He gets his shot off, sure, but, you know, he's completely wiped out. They've looked at it and said that's not a clear and obvious error. Why isn't it clear and obvious that it is? You know, so he's been prevented getting, you know, so a, a steadier shot on target because he's been fouled quite clearly. But John Moss, who was the VAR on duty, has looked at it and decided that no, you know, so that's not a clear and obvious error. That really, really annoyed me and irritated me as well. And it also seemed to be airbrushed from most of the media coverage afterwards. I think it was only Jermaine Janus on Match of the Day 2 that even briefly referred to it. Other than that, it was just ignored. So we seem to have suffered so many times from VAR this season. And I believe rightly or wrongly, that referees are subconsciously prejudiced sometimes by the size of the football club that they are, you know, officiating on. And a VAR is just another referee in a different room somewhere. And I think the identity of the teams that they are watching definitely influences their decisions, which is why Harry Maguire got away with a, a red card offence against Chelsea when he committed exactly the same offence that Son had committed against Spurs, but it's United. It causes more of a furor if you give it against United. And likewise, on Sunday, I, I just thought that John Moss would have thought, oh God, if I give a penalty to Everton here in the last minute, um, if I allow that goal... The reaction from the United masses, United, you know, so media would probably be more so than it would be um, from you know the Everton end. Now, I'm not saying that he's in any way corrupt or he's in any way you know so cheating. I just think he's subconsciously influenced by those things going on in his head, and I think that is why he came to the decision he did. And for my money, it was the wrong decision. Yeah. You know, it should have been a goal. Unfortunately, we've got to put up with it now again, as we had to at Brighton earlier this season, as we had done with other you know, instances this season. But it's just so, so frustrating. VAR is not working as it ought to have done. And it's, it's got to try and be tweaked again and changed again because it, it frustrates the hell out of me. I really do feel my you know, sort of love of the game diminishing you know, so every time a bad decision like that you know, sort of comes. It's not just Everton. You know, other clubs, you know, the Norwich one against Spurs, had me shouting at the television, how can you disallow that? You know, it's, just, it's absolutely ridiculous and uh, it's not working. It definitely needs to be changed again. Well, in my head, it, like, the, the way the system is currently set up, it's the fans inside the stadium who are losing out more, yeah, more often than so. not because... The, from us inside the stadium, the the general feeling was just confusion yeah. for about a minute and a half, maybe two minutes, something like that, while they were making the decision, and then just a wall of anger, which obviously led to Carlo Ancelotti being sent off uh, after the final whistle as well. But lads, you you were in the stand after usually watching it on on a screen, and you get all the information as it happens. What was it like being in the stands for for this sort of for this sort of decision? Well, I think. 
American in American sports, we're, we're well accustomed to instant replay. It's been part of the game for in some sports, better part of a decade, and it continues to become more and more important. But I just think that the way it's been implemented in the Premier League is a downright disgrace. Frankly, it's it's in spe- usually watching it on TV, you get you can immediately see the replay, and you can kind of speculate as to what the referee is thinking. But when you're in the ground, and we were in the upper main stand, so we weren't a- even able to see the screen. Mm-hmm. We didn't know what was going on. I knew that as soon as the goal went in, it looked a little little dodgy. I could tell that Sigurdsson, you know, wasn't an offside position, yeah. but couldn't tell who it hit or what or what it went off. And so <laughs> the lack of communication to fans in the ground is is just extremely confusing and very frustrating too when they then overturn it and you never really even get a good explanation. And I think probably the biggest misstep by the Premier League and the FA in implementing it is to not utilize the pitch side monitor. And I know it's been said many a time, but I think when you have a second referee into the equation, I just think it's important for the referee who made the original call to review his own decision and assuming that they're all operating in good faith that they would then be willing to be accountable and say I made a mistake this is wrong and overturn it or if they look at it again and they say no that was the right call and and it stays and I think people would be more okay with that I will say no matter what happens with instant replay in the game there's always going to be debate there's always going to be controversy we see it in American football all the time but it, it, when you have the same referee looking at the call, I think it just makes people feel uh, more uh, at peace with the final decision because you know that you're not having and, – and you could see it when Carlo Ancelotti went up to the referee. What's the referee supposed to say? He doesn't really – he probably he doesn't know. Really got, right, he has no idea. <laughs> yeah. So he's just standing there getting talked at sternly. I won't say Carlo Ancelotti yeah. yelled. He actually <laughs> thought he kept a pretty cool head. Yeah. But – What's he supposed to say? And so I think he just feels like he's put on the spot. And again, you know, the first red card for a manager in the Premier League as the rule was implemented last year. So uh, setting uh, another first for the for Everton, isn't it? Another unwanted first. You're yeah. on far too many of them. Yeah. <laughs> I think whoever was inside the ground, whether they did it deliberately and shall I say maybe cynically, uh, but to actually put the the replay up on the uh, the big screen. Because I'm not sure whether they're supposed to do that. They do for goals, mm-hmm. but you know, and you could argue that was a goal. You know, no one was aware at the time. You know, so whether it had been disallowed or not, but that allowed the supporters inside the stadium then to see the actual incident again, and you could tell by the reaction straight away that you know they disagreed intensely with the uh, the VAR decision because they saw it and they didn't see anything wrong with it. They saw Gilpie Sigurdsson withdraw his legs and get out of the way. They were unaware of the explanation that the Premier League later gave that it was because uh, David De Gea's eyesight or eyeline had been obscured. So you got the reaction like you did, which in different circumstances could have been you know, led to a bit of crowd disturbance. It was a, it was a, a lively end to the game. Well, I think the point about pitch side monitors is a really good one because it's something that we saw implemented in the World Cup. And you know, let's not look at this with rose tinted glasses. There was still controversy in the World Cup, let's yeah. remember, but there wasn't controversy to this level. It certainly worked better when the referees were going and reviewing their own decisions, didn't it? Well, they've been doing that in the MLS, right, since last year. And I think the most frustrating thing is the Premier League said, we are going to wait an extra year to implement VAR. And so you had MLS, you had La Liga, I think Bundesliga as well, right? Mm-hmm. Probably another handful of leagues that implemented VAR a year earlier. And I thought that that was music to my ears mm-hmm. because I'm like, okay, take lessons learned from all of these other leagues, all of these other high-profile issues, and then you implement it correctly. But the thing is, seemingly, they've implemented it worse than anyone else. <laughs> yeah. And they had a whole year to learn from everyone yeah. else's mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. And, and so now, you know, you see them backtracking. And, and I think at least in one of the matches in the Premier League, uh, the referee did go and look at the pitch side monitor, yeah. I want to say, at least maybe a couple weeks ago. Michael mm-hmm. Oliver. In the FA Cup, was it? Yeah. 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 In the FA Cup, right. Yeah. So, you know, it, 
it seems like they're trying to learn from those mistakes, but it is, it's just, it's a big mess. Mm. And it, it can yeah. only be frustrating. The, the, the mess is an independent referee, uh, basically making decisions on a different referee's, mm. you know, sort of work. So, you know, if Mr. Cavana had have actually had the opportunity to go and look at the pit side monitor, he gave the goal. Therefore, you know, he can look at it, you know, again and see if he believes he's made a mistake uh, rather than somebody else overruling him. And it just it prevents an awful lot of confusion. And I think that would be a certainly, a, you know, a significant step in the right direction. Whether it's going to happen, well, who knows. <laughs> It just bring it just keeps bringing up this debate of of how VAR is used in these sort of subjective decisions because the wording of the law is very vague in this mm. sort of scenario. You know, it's all about whether he's in the field of view of the goalkeeper. So, what does that mean? Does does it mean the goalkeeper? If the goalkeeper can see him, yeah. then he's in his field of view, and you know he can he can see Sigurdsson, but he's not blocking the ball. So he's technically in his field of view in that in that Absolutely. in that interpretation. The, the, the clear and obvious error is one of the phrases which is being misused an awful lot. Uh, it was introduced because of the absolute howlers, you know, for Republic of Ireland not going to a World Cup or European Championships, mm-hmm. you know, as a result of Thierry yeah. Henry's handball, that kind of thing. But it's being used now for every fractional instance uh, in a penalty area. And you know, football is such a fast-moving game that you can you can find all manner of these problems. You know, so in every every attack and every, every you know, so period of play. Uh, so that, that's being misused. You know, it's not just clear and obvious errors. It's absolutely every facet of a of a final third of the pitch. You know, so play. So it, it needs changing. It definitely needs changing because so many football fans are so angry with us, and you get that chant that we didn't hear yesterday. You know, sort of about you know VAR. Bit disappointed and, you know, to not be able to <laughs> sing <laughs> that one, to be honest. <laughs> but it is. It's, it just annoys people so much, and you know that many football fans can't be wrong. I'm afraid. You know the whole system's deeply flawed. And when you're talking about clear and obvious errors, let's be honest. Is is there a more clear and obvious error than not giving a penalty to Gilfie Sigurdsson for that? Like the ball's gone and he's just been wiped out. Why, why is that not a penalty? Yeah, it's like they, they wouldn't even go back. They're reviewing purely the Calvert-Lewin shot, and they wouldn't go back just moments before when there's, a, like you said, cleaned out by Juan Basaka. And the thing with the actual the Calvert-Lewin shot is, if Sigurdsson isn't there, the play goes exactly the same way mm-hmm. because De Gea is moving to his right, the, takes a, a crazy deflection and, and slots in the bottom corner. Sigurdsson pulls his legs out of the way. Whether or not he's in his field of vision, there's no physical way De Gea is going to get back over to save that shot. And so, in my opinion, that you know, he's while he's in an offside position, he's not committing an offside offense. And I think the interpretation of the rule, again, y- there's so many, football is a game of, of fine margins, and it's a game of, of a lot of vagueness in, in some cases. But And I think that the, the way VAR is being implemented is trying to dig too far deeply into the fine margins and the vague areas and try to find some solid, concrete, uh, I guess example or facts or whatever you, whatever you want to call it, where there really isn't any way to do that. And I think it, it's just it's hurting the game by and large. In my well, opinion. I mean, Gilfie Sigerson wouldn't have been on the floor if he hadn't been cleaned out. Right. You know, so you know people will argue, but he got his shot off anyway. Therefore, it shouldn't be a penalty. Well, equally, the goal was disallowed because he was on the floor, but he was on the floor because he'd been fouled. Right. So therefore, it should have been looked at. Well, sorry, it was looked at, <laughs> but it was decided that it wasn't a clear and obvious <laughs> error. <laughs> Shaking my head in absolute dis- dismay and disgust. Yeah. <laughs> we'll let you cool off then, and we'll move on to a, a different subject. I think it'd be remiss of us not to talk about Andre Gomez on his home return to Goodison Park. What did you make of him? Well, it was we, we had talked about this weeks ago, but we were really excited at the prospect of him coming back, right? Obviously, he made a, a slight appearance against Arsenal last week, 
And so we were really hoping that we would be at our first match at Goodison Park in which he would get uh, his home reception. So that was, uh, it was really nice. I, I thought that the fans did their part and gave him a nice standing ovation when he came out. Obviously, the, the whole squad did, but he got a, a few extra cheers for sure. And, and it was nice also. He got a very solid shift in, right? Uh, I, I want to say 60, 65 minutes. I, again, we couldn't see the screen at the time. <laughs> uh, but I, I thought that he also got a really nice reception coming off the pitch. Uh, we talked about it um, previously, but, you know, his performance was okay. But the thing is, you know, Sometimes I think that we, we give some players a pass for that, even just based on the fact that you can see that he was attempting, you know, some nice balls over the top, some diagonals that maybe were a little too far for, you know, a little too far uh, for, the, for, the, uh, for his teammate to catch. So it was fantastic. It was really exciting to see again. Um, and hopefully uh, Andre Gomez has many more to come. Yeah, I think even at whatever he's at percentage-wise to full fitness right now, he's head and shoulders above the most of the rest of our midfield. And you could see that, um, just his ability to, to keep possession of the ball when under pressure, to get out of tight situations, and to the ambition to try long passes that I think that we've been lacking for weeks now in our midfield. Um, the Looking forward, always looking forward, ability to carry the ball out from deep. Um, I think he just adds an entirely new dimension to our midfield, and it was great to see him back, and like Alex said, an, an amazing reception for him, which I'm sure he's very appreciative of. And it was something we talked about on the podcast last week, wasn't it, Preno, who partners Gomez? Mm. Uh, it was Tom Davis who was given that mantle uh, this weekend. How do you think he did? It was a funny one, that, because we actually said on the Friday podcast, didn't we, that it's a great opportunity for Tom Davis now, mm. but not for a second did I think he would get the opportunity so quickly. I thought Fabian Delft was like the obvious likely replacement. Uh, but obviously Carlo wants to look at as many players as possible, as much as possible, before he decides on his transfer strategy for this summer. And uh, Tom did okay. Um, you know, I'm not going to go overboard, but yeah, his performance was decent uh, and uh, improved as the game went on. Uh, a number of, you know, sort of good moments. So not a natural fit, I wouldn't have thought, alongside Andre Gomez, but it, it sort of worked. You know, the pair of them did work well together. Um, Gomez was great. and I think it was 80 odd minutes he got in the end. I never for a second thought he'd get that long, um, but he was still you know, showing a decent level of intensity even up until that point. Uh, but Tom, you know, so did dovetail quite nicely alongside him. Uh, won plenty of ball. Was quite spiky. Uh, his distribution was decent. Um, so yeah, he didn't do himself any harm whatsoever with his performance. And you know, so whether Carlo sticks with that then at the weekend or brings Fabian Delft back in, I don't know. I think that that team was selected purely because of you know, so Man United. I mean, they play was it four three two one, and so it was almost like a four three three really. You know, which we hadn't seen for a while under Carlo Ancelotti. It'd be more like a four four two. So whether it would be you know, same if he goes back to a four four two for Stamford Bridge, uh, whether he would use different personnel, I don't know. Uh, but yeah, Tom Davis did absolutely nothing to dissuade Carlo Ancelotti that he hasn't got you know, so a few more opportunities to look at mm. him in the weeks ahead. And I suppose we shouldn't really let the last couple of minutes of that game cloud. You know, what was a good performance. Everton is still only five points away from Manchester United in fifth, obviously sixth now, thanks to Manchester City's win in the League Cup. Sixth now gets a European spot next season. So it's still wide open for Everton, isn't it? It really is, and obviously next week at Chelsea is going to be absolutely massive, and the following week in the Derby will be uh, <laughs> a, a tough one for sure, but <laughs> I think uh, I think 
with the form that we're currently showing, again, only two losses under Carlo, it's very reassuring. If we can maintain fitness, which I know has been difficult, we've, of course, lost Morgan Schneiderlin now for a few weeks, which some fans might be a bit happier about than others. But um, I you think... Listen, you listen to this podcast, don't you? <laughs> <laughs> but I, I, I just think it is there for the taking, and no no side seems to really want it. There's their sides dropping points left and right. And so I think if Everton can really uh, kick on for the last few games and then get through this rough spell and then we've got a couple easier quote-unquote easier fixtures not exactly an easy fixture in the Premier League there's no reason why we can't get it the squad looks like they're they're very confident at the moment so ever the optimistic Evertonian I think we've got a real shot mm. well you know we had we had a similar lineup in in fixtures at the end of last season right and we actually performed very very well against a lot of the uh, other other big teams and so I think that it's going to be important not only to see results, but really just to kind of measure ourselves against um, a lot of the other top teams in the league to see how much work do we really have to do, how much work does Carlo Ancelotti really have to do over the summer specifically um, in order to kind of get us in, and hopefully get us into a position for next season in which we can really start challenging for things that we want to. Mm-hmm. Of course, it's Chelsea on the horizon, but we'll discuss that in full later this week. You allowed to head down to London, to Stamford Bridge? Yeah, we are. We'll we'll head down to London on Thursday and spend a few days in the city, see some of the sights, and then we'll be in the away end uh, at Stamford Bridge. That's going to be some experience for you. I was was there last season in the away end. It was like a busman's holiday. Went down there (laughs) with with my wife to watch the game. And it's decent to get, you know, sort of decent view. It's one of London's, you know, Better stadiums, if you like, uh, but a nice, nice part of London as well. It'll be a good trip as long as we get a result. Mm, and it was a draw crossed. there last year. Promising I think we probably display last season, wasn't it? Yeah. Sorry, promising display. Yeah, yeah, he mean, should have scored, shouldn't he? Yeah, yeah. so but down our end, Walcott should have um, scored. Yeah, oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. 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 but you know, three points is very, very important. Now, to be honest, I, I think we needed to beat United, and you know, yeah. we, we did really, you know, so in <laughs> in hindsight, but unfortunately, VAR ruled otherwise. Uh, but I think. The margin now might be just a little bit too much to make up, especially given you know the nature of the fixtures that we've got looming. But you don't know. Football does have this habit of surprising you. We haven't won at Stamford Bridge since well 1996, mm. but you know we're due one, and a derby match. You just don't know. They've just gone off the boil a bit at the moment, and we are playing okay. So certainly don't rule out the possibility of us you know sort of doing something against them on the Monday night. Mm. That's about to be in the future. <laughs> yeah, things to look forward to in the future. We'll talk about Chelsea more next week. Thank you very much to James and Alex for coming on and joining us. And it, thank you, Soprano, as well, well I suppose. Yeah. You don't need to thank me. Well, <laughs> it's my job. Well, didn't, didn't need to thank you, but I did anyway. Remember that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, as I say, we'll be back later in the week to preview uh, Everton's trip to Chelsea next Sunday. We'll have all the injury updates from Carlo Ancelotti after his press conference on uh, Friday, uh, presumably. So uh, you can join us for that. And don't forget, you can rate and review us on all your usual podcast platforms. And you can join in our Facebook group as well at the Royal Blue Podcast on Facebook. Uh, Thank you very much for listening. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.